1: Let's begin. Today we are speaking with JL Torres, directly from upstate New York. JL is a professor, an author of four books, and the winner of Rivera Prize. So, JL, welcome to the Relatable Voice.
0: Oh, thank you, Lucia, for having me on the show.
1: The pleasure is all mine. So, JL, you are from beautiful Puerto Rico.
0: Yes, I am. I was born in Calle, Puerto Rico. So what do you miss the most from Puerto Rico? Well, besides uh, the the family that I have there, obviously, uh, it's really, I I think the the little things that I miss most that I cannot have in the United States. For instance, uh, the wonderful bread that is made in Puerto Rico that any, any bakery you go, you can get this wonderful kind of crusty but very very soft bread with a great cup of Puerto Rican coffee. Um, that or I come from the highlands of Puerto Rico, the Cordillera, and sometimes you have this mist just come over uh, the, the the mountains there, and that is something that I remember, you know, from way back, and things like that. The beaches, the just the people who are very hospitable and very Inviting, um I, I miss that. That's really what I miss—the the little things.
1: I'm sure you miss the good weather.
0: Yes, <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> uh, I live i live twenty minutes away from uh, the Canadian border, from uh, Montreal, which is a wonderful city, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it gets very cold up here sometimes. A lot of snow, and that is certainly something that I'm not happy with. And uh, times like that, I do miss the tropical weather in, in in Puerto Rico. In particular, uh, I'm not a big fan either of the humidity. You know, that's one thing about Puerto Rico. It's very hot. It's tropical. And you, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes you have to take three showers because it's just so you're drenched by the mm-hmm. end of the day. But where I lived, it, because it's higher up, the elevation, it would sometimes be very cool. So I really it was a very pleasant climate uh, in Puerto Rico also, because we had, you know, we had the warm weather, but we also at night it was it was a little cooler. So I definitely miss that because here it gets frigid. I mean, the low zero temperatures.
1: Wow. That's not its too cold for my standards. <laughs> also <know>. for you.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to get used to after living in a tropical island, right?
1: Yes, I agree. I lived in Germany. I really loved the country, but the temperature was too low. And also I know you lived in Spain. So tell us your experience living here.
0: Well, yeah, again, I was in uh, in Spain really two times uh in my life living in in, in the country. Uh first nineteen seventy four, uh when I was a junior uh in college and uh it was a you know special program uh study abroad, and that was a very different because you're I was 21 what did i know you know i really i just wanted i wanted to have fun so we ended i think we went to more discotheques and museums but um it it was a very different experience and also it was during the franco regime so it was very strange to walk the streets sometimes there would be curfews with these soldiers their infamous hats i don't know if you've seen these these hats they look flat in the front and it's a very particular type of hat and every time we saw one it was kind of you know, kind of strange and scary, uh, and they would walk around with machine guns and things. So it, it was it was quite different than the second time that I went there, which was more recently in 2011. I went as a Fulbright scholar to uh, to teach at the University of Barcelona, the university, the Autonomous mm-hmm. University of Barcelona. Um, that was a, a very different experience. But in both cases, I I really learned a lot about the country. When I was in Barcelona, I that is one beautiful mystical magical city i would tell anyone visit it if you haven't visited nothing like it's very cosmopolitan uh, i really enjoy reading the people are so wonderful and so different you know you learn so much when you go abroad especially as an american uh I, I i found it really as a book lover and i know you're a book lover and i don't know if you know this but and in, in, they have a a holiday i think it's San Jordi. And, and during that holiday, one of the things they they give books to each other as tokens of friendship, not chocolates, not not you know something consumer, but but books. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my God, how how wonderful, how civilized that people really put that much emphasis on reading and literature and books that they have a holiday where they give each other books. And that's just Barcelona. I mean, it's so it's artistic. It's a city that has wonderful. Uh, history of literature and the arts in particular so i i loved it there and i would say i would i would move there in a heartbeat my wife and i both mm-hmm. because we came to visit me and we loved the city so much and the weather oh that weather is fantastic because it's
1: fantastic it's, yeah it's
0: it, fantastic. isn't it i love it so i loved uh, spain and, and there's a lot to still see uh the two times i were there we went, went several places but um, the Basque country, for instance, uh, I don't know. You mentioned it uh, that the Basque country is a place that I I went once, but I will have to visit uh, the southern part, the Canary Islands, which I I I have a, a descent, you know I have ancestors from uh, because a lot of Puerto Ricans came from the Canary Islands, and I would like to see the Canary Islands also. So There's a lot to see. There's so much to do. It's you know, it's an amazing country, one of the most multicultural countries, also uh, of Europe.
1: Yes, and food in Spain is fantastic. In Basque Country, we have tapas, and they are called pinchos, and they are everywhere.
0: You mentioned that, you know, that, that's one of the, the, the real secrets, you know, uh, for, for like European cuisines, how good, how excellent the Spanish cuisine is. I put it up there, really. I think, quite frankly, I think it's even better than the French French cuisine. And I, I don't know why people keep talking about French. I mean, the Spanish cuisine is amazing because you know, it has seafood. It has all kinds of different foods in it and different types of ways to eat it. It's uh, tapas is, is something I, I can just eat tapas every day, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's great. It's a great, uh, great country. And it's, uh, yes,
1: I love Spain. And as you said, Puerto Ricans come from Canarias. That's why you wrote and called this book Migrations.
0: It really it refers to, to stories. It's what we call an autonomy. It's another word really for stories because every migration is a story is it not uh even if you come with your family your experience of that migration is different perhaps than your your father or mother right or right. your siblings because you're a unique person and you experience things differently than other people so every one of those 11 stories in my collection is a really uh is a migration of sorts it's not only a phys- like geographic migrations because you can move from you know, Puerto Rico to the States, and yet in many ways you're moving, you're also moving your life, you're moving your sense of the world, You or your psychology changes, your emotions change. So it's really a movement of more than just geography. And I think that that's what I try to capture in each one of those stories to so, show how, in particular, when it comes to this collection that deals with Puerto Ricans and their migrations, or what we call of the Puerto Rican diaspora, was mm-hmm. that are you know, children of that diaspora, our parents came here. I came to, to the United States when I was five, and so uh, I grew up in New York City, in the, in the, in the South Bronx, uh, far away from Puerto Rico, and so I ha- experienced that world. My world is very different than Puerto Ricans living in Puerto Rico, obviously, and so those stories are all about diasporicans, Puerto Ricans in the diaspora, and different Periods, historical periods or moments, so the the, the the collection also has a sense of history, very much focused in the 20th century, because the Puerto Rican migration really, really began, really spiked in the 20th century, especially after the World War II. So these stories are are, are all about that experience of living in diaspora. Uh, they are somewhat uh, connected to some historical moment in Puerto Rican history. Uh, very selective on my part to kind of give an overview of the main, some things that have happened to us and um, also focusing on how those events affect my characters. Mm
1: And this book was inspired
0: by real stories, JL? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, for instance, you can't get more real than historical events, right? I mean, one of the stories is about a woman who, who, who gets an operation She's a widower, her husband has died in the factory that then she gets her job. She's lucky to actually be given the job as a woman in 1950s in Puerto Rico because the um, the, the foreman felt sorry for her and really liked her husband, you know, as a, as a worker, as a person. So but now she has to get this operation, which really is a way of saying that during the 50s and 60s into the early 70s, in Puerto Rico, there was a sterilization program for women. And some of these women were really not given all the facts and information that they should have, they, she thought, the character Elena thinks that, oh, you know, they're going to tie her tubes and she could always untie them. And Well, back in the 50s, they didn't have the surgery that they have now to untie tubes. Once you tied your tubes, that's it. You were, You were not going to have any children. And she wasn't really aware of that. And the way they explained to her, she she thought she could still have children later on and not. So essentially she was sterilized. She would not have children uh, unless later on, right in the the 70s something, 70s or 80s, the other type of surgery was that they can make it, but maybe she would have been too old by then to have children. So um, that's just one example of the kinds of things that happened to, to Puerto Ricans because of their situation um or, or the the sucio the story about the sucio uh, sucio is a word for someone a man who's a womanizer uh, someone who cheats on um you know their wives etc and who has a very machista attitude so he, he decides to go to the dominican republic how how ironic right mm-hmm. that he could go back to the country that taught him how to be a machista mm-hmm. Because our cultures are very, very sometimes very sexist that way. So this is another thing that when you leave these countries or your country, Latin American countries, you also take with you the cultural baggage, right? In the yes. migration. It's not just your physical body, you take a lot of cultural ideas. Exactly. So this is a guy that still is very much Dominican or Latin American or Latinx in that sense that he is still very banchista so but he falls in love with this young woman he wants to change because he thinks you know he, he's, he's missing out on real love so he goes back and, and he gets transition which is to say that he they you know they I, I alter his his you know uh genitalia right uh mm-hmm. because it was a mistake he goes to this clinic and they do something they probably mixed him up with somebody else and he ends up being what we call transition and that changes his, his, his mindset. So it deals with questions of, of, of those, you know, cultural values that sometimes we have. Uh, one of the stories about Roberto Clemente and that he, what he went through, right? And his migration from Puerto Rico to United States to play baseball and the racism that he um, encountered, for instance. Mm-hmm. So all the stories have sort of this historical perspective and at the same time, they deal with how we deal with this perspective because of the migration that we undertook, we left our countries. And now maybe, you know, if if the the, the guy who's the socio in my story, Amador, uh, stays in the Dominican Republic, he wouldn't even think about that, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the society is so machista that this is okay. sort of like, yeah, this is what he's done. But he's in the United States now and he's confronted with a woman that says, you know, I, I don't like the particular way you're dealing, you know what I mean, with things. so. Mm-hmm. so he feels that maybe he should change. So um, obviously that change, once we leave our homelands and come to the United States, uh, in this case, when he leaves Puerto Rico, even though this character was Dominican, his mother was Puerto Rican. Uh, so you still have it from both sides, right?
1: Yeah, the mentality is completely different. And sometimes it's difficult to get adapted to a new country, a new culture.
0: It's yeah, in many ways that's true. And I, I think, uh, you know, I guess maybe some some of your listeners are say, "Well, what's the difference?" You know, between Puerto Ricans and other immigrants. Well, uh, I would say that the main, very important difference is that we're American citizens, so we can jump on a plane, and then in, in the United States we're now you know 100% American citizens. You go back to Puerto Rico, you're not 100% citizens because you cannot vote for president. We cannot. We don't have any senators or representatives uh, uh, representing us in Congress. We have one person who has no voice, or has voice but no vote. So, in uh, a lot of the things that uh, uh, you know, any benefits that any other state gets, we get maybe half of it. So we are not in a good position that as a, as a citizen, but we are citizens. So we can leave and come and back, as you said. You know, just mm-hmm. take the plane, three hours, and I'm in New York City. Uh, Less if I want to go to Miami or or, or Orlando, where a lot of Puerto Ricans now are living uh, an hour and a half, you know, flight. So, uh, and also because we're, we are in a hemisphere. This is another thing that I also tell my students when I teach courses in Latinx culture and literature. The difference between maybe a lot of your ancestors who came from Europe is when they left Europe, they they wanted to forget about Europe. And it was very difficult to connect to their homeland because they're so far, they're 6,000 miles away. We are maybe 2,000, 3,000 miles away. This hemisphere of Western hemisphere, uh, you know, pretty much the main language here is Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. And even the United States, yeah. the United States is the third largest Spanish-speaking country in mm-hmm. the world. There are more Spanish-speaking people in the United States of America who are citizens than some Latin American countries. That is amazing and this is why you know, my mother spent 25 years in, in New York City and she really did never, never learned English. And why would she have to in a sense? I mean, you know, she goes to the grocery store and the man speaks Spanish. In fact, the one in our block in the street was from her hometown. So, uh, <laughs> you know, she went in there, she would speak the Spanish. She would hear the news in Spanish. She would watch the novelas in Spanish. Her friends were Spanish. And so even if she wanted to learn, it wasn't the environment, the best environment that you have to actually learn. And when she went to work in a factory, her boss spoke in Spanish to the workers. So, you know, it's very different for us because there, we're, we're are surrounded by Latin American cultures and Spanish and many of our cultures that, that we don't, you know, and plus we're very proud of our culture. So we don't, we resist the idea of total assimilation That's right. chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No By law 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right. And you were telling me that uh, and of course there are many people speaking Spanish in the US and I remember every time I was in Miami, people used to speak with me in Spanish. I understand. I before I used to understand well, but I couldn't speak. So basically I said, can we speak in English? But people like kept speaking with me in Spanish, although I I could understand. I could not reply. <laughs> it was so funny. So and uh JL in your bio. Uh, I read he has no known hobbies. Yes is that true?
0: Yeah, I really don't have hobbies. I don't think I have time for hobbies honestly.
1: Okay. So he has no known hobbies, has never been in prison or any gangs, has never had kirky and funky jobs and is notoriously... <laughs> inept with tools <laughs> so the fact of being from puerto rico caused you any difficulties in your life and career
0: yeah yeah the reason why just to explain perhaps to your listeners to, to that that whole little uh section you read there that's part of my bio and i do that purposely because a lot of these bios Seem to always want to make writers uh, a certain way, you know. And when it comes to Latino Latinx writers, you, you know, I don't know how many. The whole idea of of being in jail or, you know, the, you know, like P.D. Thomas, you know, the the famous Puerto Rican writer who wrote a, a best-selling book about being in prison and being drugs and and, and, and the gangs. Building. I just want to make it clear that that's not my background, and I I, I say that purposely because I want to tell tell people that not all Puerto Ricans in particular are, are, you know, have that background. In fact, most of us is just regular people trying to make a living and working. And that's what I write about, right? So I, I just wanna make sure that people, and I, I say that purposely because I, I think most people realize, okay, this guy's like making kind of a joke about that because uh, so many people try to uh, play up to that, you know? And I try to be a different kind of writer. But to answer your question, yeah, I think any person of color and the United States uh, is going to confront uh, some some type of discrimination, whether it's subtle or not so subtle. Uh, what we call microaggressions, people asking you questions that sometimes innocently uh, they're, they're asking you, but they don't realize how racist it is. Um, and this is, a, this is a learning moment for a lot of other people too out there who, um, in America by now, in this century, we should be used to multi-ethnicity. I am a firm believer that the United States of America was has always been a multi ethnic country. Uh, it's not just uh, even if you consider Europeans. It's not you know it wasn't it wasn't one European country that that populated the U.S. It was many European countries, and that's multi ethnic right from the beginning. But you know when when the Europeans came here and they uh, met the the uh, natives here this country became a multi-ethnic country, because those are our roots, right? And then they brought slaves here to work their fields and make themselves rich. And that was another uh, strain of, of ethnicity and, and difference. So this country is about that, and but there's still people who can't seem to grasp that and understand what that means you know, for us. So, yeah, I have, I've had uh, people call me names and make uh, all kinds of references to my ethnicity um and so and some the hardest part about this Lucia, is that when you grow up with that environment and you are, you're quite aware and conscious of how people treat you sometimes that you in moments where it's sort of hazy you're not sure that you as a person of color sometimes wonder was that racism or not you know you don't even know it's like you, you begin to be to doubt yourself that maybe oh maybe i'm overreacting or maybe it really is racism in a very subtle way um, i don't think a lot of uh european americans or white people have to feel that way i don't think they have to say oh is this person making fun of me because i'm white um that's rare uh most white people don't ever experience that that sense of maybe i, I just something racist was just told to me, you know, or maybe somebody's treating me in a racist way. I think that those um, that psychology is also very um, it, it could be very, very harmful in, in many ways that that constant doubt is there that you have to navigate uh, in the United States of America, unfortunately, even in the 21st century. So yeah, I, I had um, I've had that, that sense that because uh, too many people I am another, uh, that that I have been treated sometimes, you know, um, uh, either with a sense of curiosity, which in itself is very, um, you know, disturbing and kind of uh, really, uh, is this how you you look at me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's, it's part ignorance, it's part awkwardness that people don't know how to deal with other, other people. Okay, I live up here. See, there's another thing that you listen to, is I live, since I live upstate New York, there are very few. Latinx people here. Very few Puerto Ricans. Uh, it, 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 I can probably count them on one hand. So I'm constantly surrounded. My students usually are uh, white, but but I do have, uh, in fact, those, those are the only times I really meet other uh, Latinx people is in my classrooms because the students, you know, we have students that come from New York City. And so and they also go through the same thing. In fact, they seek me out many times because they come to my office. Um, with issues about how they're treated and how they feel, they feel, you know, not welcome sometimes. So that's something that, uh, as a professor, I've always had to also, through my students, um, help them out because um, I've been, you know, here longer and I have been also in the United States longer than they have. Um, so that's part of my role as a mentor to some of these students. So yeah, it is, uh, it is an issue. And I don't think um, that's any news to any American that under that reads the news, that sees the news, that knows what's going on with with race in this country, even as we speak. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any any conscious uh, person of color in the United States that is not going to understand. I have you know, a wonderful quote from James Baldwin, who's one of my favorite writers, and and I'm paraphrasing paraphrasing here. He said, "To be a black man." and relatively conscious in the United States means to be in a constant rage. And I I think that that says it pretty much. Uh, Not that I'm always in a rage and certainly I'm not an African-American man uh, or African-American person who, who, you know, I understand is even harder for Mm African-Americans. But um, I think to a certain level, um, every person of color experiences that.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with you. TL writing can be emotionally draining and stressful pursuit. And this subject that you've written, I believe that can cause you some you know maybe some rememberings from your time in in Puerto Rico.
0: I see two parts in that in that question uh, the the material if the material that you're writing is very powerful. And in my short stories, it is. There's some stories in there that are, are, were, were quite painful to write, specifically the one about sterilization because I did a lot of research and the more I found I had to sometimes stop. I said, I can't believe this happened to these women. And sometimes uh, I would just get out off my desk, out of my, you know, just back off of my desk and, and just say, let me just like take a walk or let me just, you know, I can't today. Or even writing the stories, they were sometimes hard to write. Uh, I find myself very emotional sometimes when I wrote some scenes. So that I that I don't think, I don't think you should handle that. I think you need, of course, you can walk away and take a breather, <clears throat> but if it's emotional to you, that means it's going to be emotional to the reader. And there's something raw in that, something that you really need to continue with because it's a story that has to be told. And another uh, quote that I like is Akira Kurosawa, who's one of my favorite film directors, Japanese director. And he used to say, to be an artist means not to avert your eyes. And that is to say, sometimes you might be looking at things that are really awful and grotesque and ugly and, and painful, but you as an artist must keep looking at it and therefore writing about it. And I believe that truly. Now the other one is just the toll that writing takes on you. You know, I mean, when you're writing a book, it's a it's a long process, and for that, I definitely think that there are moments that you need to just uh, take a break. I do, I do, um, I do yoga sometimes. Uh, I take deep breaths. I sometimes, um, when I'm really in the middle of it, sometimes, and I, I get a little stressed. I just I watch films and and those times I like to watch anything that is you know silly, romantic comedy, whatever, because I can't watch a, a real powerful drama when I'm when I'm trying to get away from you know from those ideas in my mind when, when it comes to my writing. But but um, the process is long and exhausting, as you say. You need to sometimes take breaks. Uh, my wife is wonderful, she's been, we've been married for 36 years and she knows when I get like that and to have someone like that tell me, Jose, you need to take a break, let's do this. And and we do. So obviously having a wonderful uh, partner that, that knows your moods and your mood swings and knows when you're, you need to take a break um, is important. Because there's also times when I'm not writing and I get grumpy because I feel like, if I, I really feel like I have to be writing. And when I'm not writing, then I also get grumpy. And she says, oh, you haven't been writing lately, have you? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, okay, yeah, she knows me. And so we also, you know, we find something to do because uh, either taking long walks or, or we see a movie, uh, you know, sometimes we just sit and if it's a nice day out, we go out on the porch and just get some wine and just sit out there and talk uh, as we munch and, and and we have a glass of wine. But you need to find that that equilibrium in your life. Yoga, by the way, helps me. I do a lot of, I do some restorative yoga and I think it's, it's. I would like to do more now that I'm retired. I think it really does help you, calm you and ease you. Uh, when I go, the instructor in the class always, he knows me right now, so he just kind of pulls down on my shoulders and says, you need to relax, you know, because my shoulders are so tight. So, so there's, there's, you have to do that. You have to take time out for yourself and sometimes get away uh, even if you have a deadline because your mental health uh, and your health generally is more important than any book that you will write. So I think, that's, uh, I think those two things are, are important to remember, the type of material you write and just the general process of writing. You need to sometimes find uh, ways to um, pause and, and take, uh, take care of yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. It was very well said, uh, Jose. And I think I find out
0: about your hobbies. Your
1: hobby is yoga. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that, I don't. I don't see that. I don't know if that's a hobby because I, I think of hobby. I think of people collecting stamps or something. And hobby, you know, yoga to me is really a, a part of of wellness, yeah. and of your health. So uh, I don't consider eating well a hobby. I, I, I you know, a cooking maybe if you want to consider cooking, but when you're, I, cause I love to cook. And, but when you cook, you know, I, I prepare most of the meals in my family. So it, it's not really a hard, I have to do this, right? Cause I, I you know, everybody's hungry, but I do enjoy it. Uh, I do listen to a little music and sometimes I do have a glass of wine when I'm cooking and that actually that does also relax me
1: your wife must be very happy because you cook
0: well they, you know it's only fair right i mean uh we we, we share everything you know uh, that we do uh including parenting you know as it should be but uh, the cooking is because you know i have a very flexible schedule and my wife works, you know works from 8 to 4 30 and why should she have to come home when i have so much time on my hands and cook i don't think it's fair mm-hmm. so um, she's very lucky that I also like to do it yes. and I find a way of relaxing when I do it. Uh, but uh, you know and, and we share that too though. it's not like I cook every day. some she cooks towards the weekends because she knows' during the weekends is when I, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of for my classes I would prep my great papers and so um, it, it's a matter of sharing that too. Mm-hmm.
1: And Jl please, I would like to tell our listeners your book's names. What's next for you and where we can find you and your books?
0: Okay, so, um, you know, I wrote a novel called The Accidental Native, uh, a collection of of poems called Boricua Passport, uh, and another collection, my first collection of short stories, which is called The Family Terrace and Other Stories. And now the new book that won the Tomás Rivera Prize is called migrations you can find all these books in any online bookseller whether it's amazon barnes and noble and the others that are out there you know uh, always look to see which is the best price because um obviously they they sometimes differ in the prices migrations is out now you can find it you can also find it in the los angeles review of books website if you want to support a, a smaller independent bookstore some people uh, or, or don't like to shop Amazon bookstores, whatever or the bookstore, because whatever reasons. But if you want to support independent indie bookstore or booksellers, then the Los Angeles Review of Books, L A, A- R B books, and uh, you can find them and Google that. And um, any if you want to, you know, follow me, I, I, I you know I'm on Twitter. My handle there is at Rikin Writer, and also my Facebook page is at Rikin Writer. And I have a website, uh, author's website, which is jltoreswriter.com. And I also have um, a blog that I keep that I write about other Latinx, uh, you know, about culture and literature uh, specifically. And that is called postbarriouniverse.com. So they can follow me there or find more information about me on those.
1: Mm -hmm. excellent i always tell our listeners to leave a review reviews are very important to us and it gives other people the chance to find a nice book yeah
0: yes absolutely
1: so jl was a pleasure to talk to you um puerto rico is on my bucket list
0: well, I hope you get to go because there is, is a lot of beautiful and I would suggest someone is wonderful, fantastic, but go in in, inland, you know, go into the inside the island. There's a lot of other places to visit that are really beautiful. The, the, the West Coast is fantastic. It's also, there's a lot of good food in Puerto Rico also. So enjoy it and you're going to be relaxed. The beaches are fantastic. Uh, you'll love it.
1: Yes, I'm sure. And thank you very much for your participation.
0: Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure to be on this podcast with you.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. RELATING DOES Until next time! Plus.